that he has set his affection on us in such a committed way. Isn't it amazing that he has set his love on us in such a way that it says, once you have put your faith and trust in my son, that Satan cannot pluck you out of my hand. Isn't it amazing that he has set his love on us in such a way that his grace continues to rescue us, transform us, and sanctify us, even though we don't deserve it? So we come today to worship this king and just to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for setting your affection on me. A weak, feeble, selfish, confused, spoiled brat at times. But he sets his affection on us. Oh, how he loves us so. Praise God for his love. Today we're going to continue our series called Rising to the Occasion. And what this series is, is it is a, a playoff of the University of Louisville's basketball team, the, the championship basketball team. And we've been looking at how the, the University of Louisville, uh, the, the key components that allow them to be a championship team. Uh, and we've been looking at how those, those components that make up a championship team are also the components that the Bible lays out that makes a championship church, that makes the church do well. So in part one of our series, we looked at how the University of Louisville, in order for them to be a championship team, they had to be committed to their coach's philosophy, and they had to run his play. And the church, in order for us to be a, a championship local church, we have to be committed to the word of God, and we have to be committed to Jesus and the play that he told us to run, which is to make disciples. In church, in, in the second uh, 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 sermon of the series, we looked at the same, uh, a similar thing. We looked at how a, a championship team is built, building a championship team. And we looked at how a championship team needs to be unified. It also needs to celebrate diversity. It also needs to celebrate diversity, Amen. And it also needs to be mature. In the third sermon of this series, we, we looked at how a, a championship team is a team that has to defend well. The University of Louisville was able to beat the University of Michigan because when they needed to make a stop, they were able to make a stop. They were able to defend the goal. And if a church is going to be a championship church, a church that is winning for the Lord Jesus, we have to be a church that is able to defend the truth. The Bible says that the church is the pillar, the bulwark, the, the pillar of truth in society. It is where society should be able to look to, to see what the Bible says. So in order to build a championship church, we, we need to run the coaches play. We need to be a team that is unified, a team that is mature. We also need to be a team that defends the truth. But today we're going to look at another element of, of rising to the occasion. We're going to look at, at another element that we need in order to, to build this championship church. In April Sports Illustrated uh, issue, the cover story was the NCAA National Champions, your Louisville Cardinals. And on the cover of that magazine, uh, magazine the caption of the article read, Brothers Champions, Brothers Champions. And what that article looked at was the, the secret sauce that made the University of Louisville a successful team. And I, I read the, uh, the, the, the article, we subscribe to Sports Illustrated, um, that's how I keep in, 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 uh, in, in contact with the, the sports world. Uh, we don't have cable, we don't have ESPN, that's how I dive in and learn, right? <laughs> so, so for this article, it just talked about what made this team so special. And this article was just so great because it showed that, what, that this team was, had a, a special bond that was forged among each of its players. This team, they didn't see themselves just as merely teammates, but they saw themselves as brothers, it was encouraging to read this article because it revealed how intertwined they were in each other's life. 
And it also talked about how throughout the season when one player had a, a crisis off of the court, how the team came around that player and, and filled in the gap and loved that player. Likewise, a, a championship church is a church that sees themselves not just as teammates, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. They, they see themselves as having a, a special bond and a, a deep care for each other. They care for each other in such a way uh, that the world looks and says, wow, that is a unique love. That is a deep love that they have for each other. And they begin to, to ask questions to see how does that type of care come about. Today we will learn that, that biblical care is a, a very deep and unique thing. And we will also learn what the Bible says about biblical care. What the Bible says about what it means for us to care for each other as teammates. So God this is what we're going to learn today, that God calls us to, to rise to the occasion by caring for each other in a very deep way, in a very deep way. And we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 25 through uh, chapter 6, verse 3. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 uh, through chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, we had a, an abbreviated... Uh, service today. We're just going to kind of get straight to it and get through it because this week we had such a, a long week with Vacation Bible School. And I am so thankful for the care that each teacher and member had for each other uh, during VBS. VBS was a success in my eyes. It was the most successful VBS that we've had thus far that I've been here. Um, it was just incredible. The VBS team and the volunteers just really stepped up and everybody played their part. So it's funny that we're talking about rising to the occasion and caring for each other um, after this church displayed it in such a wonderful way this week. Um, it was absolutely amazing. The book of Galatians is written to uh, the church uh, at Galatia. Galatia is where modern-day Turkey is today. Uh, Paul helped plant this church. He preached the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, faithfully to this church. And sometime later, this is probably a year and a half, at most two years later, he's writing this church again because they have fallen away from the pure gospel. Some false teachers have come in, and they basically said that, you know, that gospel that, that Paul was talking about, that, that you're accepted by God uh, because of your faith in Jesus and by grace alone, that's not the truth. If you all want to be accepted, if you Gentiles in Galatia want to be accepted, you have to be circumcised. You have to perform a certain way to be accepted by God. So Paul writes this book in order to set the record straight and to say, no, acceptance by God is not based upon your performance. Acceptance by God is based upon your faith in Jesus who performed perfectly. Who performed perfectly for you. It's by grace through faith. We pick up in verse 25. And we could go all the way to verse 10, and it probably would be most appropriate for us to go today into verse 5, but for the sake of brevity, um, and we're going we're gonna to stop at verse three, to, 3 today. And we're starting at verse 25 because I believe that the Apostle Paul, in verse 25, begins to apply the truths that was in chapter 5 to the community, to the body of Christ, to the body of Christ. Look at what he says. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or even envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any trans transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Amen. Today we want to tag this text, caring for your teammates. Caring for your teammates. Uh, you may be seated. Uh, gracious Father, I thank you because you and you alone are good. You and you alone are worthy of all praise and adoration. And I pray that you would just breathe on us 
and bless us through your word. I pray, Father God, that you would use me uh, to, to declare biblical truths, that your Holy Spirit will open our eyes to uh, what the church is called to be and the impact that the church can have on the world if we would just be who you've called us to be, your workmanship, created in Christ for good works. I pray, Father God, that you will calm our hearts and allow us to sit under your word. Allow us right now, Father God, to be Marys and not Marthas. Captivate us and capture our attention by giving us a heart that desires to learn from you. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we'll be looking at, at biblical care. What does the Bible say care is? How does the church care for each other? The University of Louisville had a secret sauce of caring for each other that made uh, a guy by the name of Luke Wynn, who, who wrote the article, that made him marvel at how close this team was. And I believe that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can outcare the University of Louisville because we have been regenerated. We have been given new life by the Spirit. Um, I believe that we can outcare any secular organization, any group of people who care for each other that's not in Christ. And I believe that that care is what's going to draw people to Jesus. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, he said that the church is salt and light to the world. Salt preserves. Light exposes. It, it draws people. And the world is in darkness. Our light is what is going to draw the world to Christ. It's going to draw the world to Christ. So how is the church care different from the world's care? And how is the church care deep and unique? Well, the first thing we see in verse 25 is this. We learn that biblical care comes from living in the Spirit. Now, when I say biblical care, I'm saying what the Bible says about care. Biblical care comes from living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. Verse 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So Paul has been teaching this church that salvation comes uh, through Christ. It comes when we put our faith in Christ. It is God making us new in Christ. And then he goes and he says there's a distinct difference between those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. In chapter 5, we learn that those who are not in Christ, they walk according to the flesh. That means that they are ran by their own desires. They are enslaved to their own desires, desires that uh, are apart from God's will. But he says that those who are regenerated, who have been given new life, are those who walk according to the Spirit or who live according to the Spirit. That means that they are living in step, in tune with the Spirit. They are enjoying the presence of Jesus in their everyday life, and the Spirit of the living God is guiding them throughout their day. He's guiding them while they're at work, while they're at home, while they're in recre recreation. Every part of their life is in tune with God's Word, with the presence of Jesus. With the presence of Jesus. Biblical care starts when we are in step and in tune with the Spirit of God, with the Word of God. In fact, when we are not in step with the word of God, we look, the church looks, we care for each other just like the world cares for each other. In Galatians chapter 5, we see these words, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, Sorcery, enmity, which is hatred, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. This is what comes from the heart of a person who does not know Jesus. 
at the end of the day. This is what's going on in the heart. Some people are able to be moralists and they're able to control it a little more, but this is, at the end of the day, what their heart will produce. Even their good works are done out of self-glory, self-acceptance. So even when they're caring for someone, at the end of the day, even though they may not admit it, when they lay their head down on their pillow, they cared for people for some type of self-justification. Now, those who are living in a spirit, who are in step with the spirit, who are enjoying the presence of God each day because they put their faith and trust in Christ, their lives look different. It's marked differently. Not perfectly, but differently. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit, the evidence of the spirit, the evidence of being born again, of being a Christian, is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, look at that, faithfulness, self-control against their soul, uh, their, these, uh, against such things, uh, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and his passions and his desires. So let me ask you a question. Who would you rather have caring for you? If you're down and out, if things aren't going your way, which person would you rather have coming along you? The person in the first category or the person in the second category? The person that's walking in the flesh, meaning that at the end of the day, their life is about their greatest pleasure, their hedonist, or the person who is walking in the spirit, at the end of the day, their life is about crucifying desires that don't please Jesus. So biblical care starts with us living in the spirit. You cannot live in the spirit. You cannot care for people in, a, in the way that the Bible says if you don't know Jesus. Number two. Before we go there, let me say this. Um, God's team is, is marked by these qualities. Overall, this is what a Christian looks like. We don't have perfect patience, but we, people can see that we have patience. Uh, we, we're not necessarily always good, but when people look at us and they were to categorize us, they'll say, yeah, that's, that's a person that, that is good. Second Timothy look different. Second Timothy verse, chapter 3, verse 1 through 5 says this about the last days, the last days. As, 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 as Jesus is getting closer to returning, this is what people who don't love Jesus is going to look, look like. More and more. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness. They know how to talk about the things of God. They know how to say God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. They know a couple Kurt Franklin songs, but they deny its power. When they leave from the presence of God's people, they live completely different. And what does Paul say? Avoid such people. Avoid such people. What I'm saying is church, Forest Baptist Church, I believe if we look at what the Bible says, it means to care about each other as teammates. I believe that it can be so radically different and so attracting that the people here in Newburgh over this five, ten years from now, when the world is getting more and more wicked, they will look at Forest Baptist Church and it will be a light on a hill. It will be a light on a hill. Because it will be, our members, we will be the opposite of what that, that pastor said. Second, biblical care comes from a humble heart. Biblical care comes from a humble heart. And here's what the point I'm going to make in this point. It is impossible to care for people like Jesus cares for people while being self-absorbed. 
It is impossible to care for people like Jesus cared for people and calls us to care for people if we are self-absorbed. This is absolutely amazing, verse 26, absolutely amazing. Look what Paul does here. He tells us we must live in the Spirit. Then verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So before he goes and he talks about caring for these for the individuals that we'll see in, in this next few verses, he says, don't be conceited. But what he does here is unique because normally when we think about arrogance and when we think about conceit, we think about it only as a person who is like lofty, who thinks lofty thoughts about themselves. We think about it as that person who always talks in like, uh, what is it, third person? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, Jamal don't eat grits. Like, aren't you Jamal? <laughs> like, <laughs> that person who's just self-absorbed. But Paul, he says, yes, that's conceit, but conceit, is, it shows up in two ways. Number one, it's the person who's, self, who's stuck up like that, but it's also the person who is constantly, uh, uh, you know, looking down upon himself. So he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and let us, not, let us also not become conceited by envying one another. See, that word provoke in the Greek is, the word, is a word that gives us a picture of, of, uh, of, a, uh, of an athlete, a superior athlete competing against a less superior athlete. It's this athlete that's trash-talking to this other person that he knows he's better than. So he's saying... Uh, in order to care for someone, you can't be the person who thinks, who, who looks down upon people. But then he says you also can't be the person who looks up at people. See, envy comes from a heart that feels, that says, I'm not good enough. And I wish that I was like this person. I wish that I had this person's gifts. I wish that I had this person's life. And since I don't have this person's gifts or life, I'm going to be bitter towards them. I'm going to treat them a different way because my heart is controlled, really, with conceit. See, both of them are conceited. For the person who looks down on people, they're conceited because they think they're better than people. But for the person who is constantly looking up at people and feeling like they're good, not good enough, they're conceited because they are focused on what they don't have, which is still self-absorption rather than what they do have and what God has gifted them with. So as Christians, we can't come alongside someone and care for someone unless we are humble. The SI article that I, uh, I talked about earlier, in it, it says that the, the reason that the University of Louisville was able to care for each other, these players were able to care for each other so much, is because Rick Pitino's theme all season long was humility. In big, bold print, in capital letters, humility was written on the whiteboard in, in their locker room. And all season long, Patino kept telling them that if you all are going to play in a championship game, it is because you have humbled yourself. You have made yourself low. You have rejected conceit. Provoking one another looks down, envying one another looks up. Both are forms of pride, and every single person in here, heart has a tendency to lean one way or another. All of us have a heart that sometimes dabble in both. It depends on who we're in front of. It depends on who we're in front of. But, but, but most of us, we have a tendency to most of the time to lean one way either in conceit or self-deprecation, self-deprecation. And we can't love people the way that we're supposed to while doing that. This hinders us from consistently being able to care for each other. We can't care for the lowly brother because we're looking down on him, thinking, if only you had it together like me. And we can't care for the lofty person because we're thinking, how in the world can I help you when you've got it better than me? Our problem, the thing that heals our hearts from having a swollen head and from having 
a small head that envies the person with a swollen head is the gospel. That's what Paul has been laying out from day from, from the very first chapter in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He has this perspective. He's talking about the gospel, no other gospel. It's a great passage about the gospel. And then in verse 10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, Paul is able to minister to, no, to anyone, no matter who it is. If it's the governor that he's before, or if it's a, if it's a poor person, he's able to, to minister and to care for them because he's not intimidated by them, and he's not looking down at them because his heart is kept in the gospel. His heart is, is telling him that I'm not, I'm not living for the approval of anyone but God. But God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, I'm not judged in a human court. In other words, church at Corinth, you can't judge me. In other words, you don't give me my worth. And then he says, but I don't give me my worth in chapter 4 of 1 uh, Corinthians. He says, my worth comes from Jesus. See, the gospel speaks to the person who's provoking people, who's constantly competing with people and constantly trying to show off that they know more and that they're better that they're more organized. The gospel speaks to that person that says, you know what? It humbles that person by saying, you're saved by grace through faith. Any gift that you have, it only comes because God gave it to you. James chapter 1 says that all good and perfect gifts comes from above. Anything good that's worth boasting about is from God. Paul tells the church at Corinth, and if that's the case, how can you boast about anything? See, the gospel humbles the person who is tempted to provoke people, to compete with people. But it also emboldens. It, it gives boldness to the person who is constantly uh, self-deprecating, uh, uh, constantly living with the self-deprecation. Because it says, hey, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. When you're in the presence of people who the world deem as important or people who are more gifted than you in some area, you can still walk with confidence because the God of this universe has made you his. So the gospel gives us balance. It gives us a, a boldness that says I'm a child of God, but it gives us a humility that says I'm a sinner saved by grace. So when I'm in the presence of people, I don't have to look at what I have on and what they have on and what I drive and what they drive. I don't have to look at how well they do something and how I don't do something or how well I can do something and they can't do it. I'm, I'm free to just be in Christ and to say, no matter what I have or don't have, I am perfectly loved by the person that matters the most and his name is Jesus. And now that frees me. When I come before people, instead of competing with people, instead of looking up to people and being timid, it frees me to be able to minister to them from a heart that says, I love you and I'm here for you and I want to care for you just like I care for myself. Tim Keller calls our gospel identity. An identity that tells us that we are accepted by God. Therefore, we're free to be bold and humble in him. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Verse 26, I'm sorry. He says, Paul says, For in Christ... You are, all, you are all sons of God through faith. Through faith. For in Christ, you are sons of God. That's boldness. Through faith. That's humility. We're not sons of God because of our works. We're sons of God because of faith. And the Bible says that our faith comes from God. All right. So, biblical care comes from living in the Spirit. Biblical care comes from a humble heart. But biblical care consists of 
two things. Number one, biblical care consists of restoring those sinning. And number two, biblical care consists of bearing each other's burdens. So let's look at our text again. Number one, it consists of restoring those who are sinning. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. So if I am going to care for people in a, a way um, that, that, that is modeled after Jesus and after the Bible, it means that I take on the responsibility to, to restore people who are sinning, specifically Christians. He says, brothers, um, every single Christian here um, is, is called to live in the spirit and is called to grow in maturity. And as we are growing in maturity and living in the spirit, we are then commissioned to love and care for each other enough to step into each other's world when we're entangled in sin and minister to each other and pull us each other out of that sin. Um, that is what Paul is getting at here. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that word caught, uh, theologian says, is a, a picture of someone who was walking and living the Christian life, and all of a sudden, they got entangled in the sin. It's not something they necessarily planned for. It's something that just kind of caught them up. And now this person is transgressing. They are going against the laws of God intentionally. The Bible says, brothers, if any of you are caught entangled in transgressions, that something should happen. Now, we want to understand when it says caught, it's not, it's not, it's not making us passive by saying that, 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 we, uh, that, that sin just happens to us. No, we sin. <laughs> uh, James chapter 1 says we sin because we are led astray by our own passions and lusts. So this isn't an innocent sinner. This is a sinner who sinned because he was led away by his own deceitful heart. It says, if any of you are, who are caught in sin, the ones who are spiritual must go to that person to restore him. Now, what does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean to be spiritual? Because most of us are like, yes, I don't have to care for people that way because I'm not that deep. I'm not that spiritual. But to be spiritual, I believe, just means to live in the spirit. Whoever is living in the spirit, whoever is walking with Jesus, enjoying the presence of Jesus with an obedient heart, is the person who should go to the persons who are caught up in their sin and they should seek to restore them. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, I think helps us to see what he means even more. That's when Jesus says that uh, before you go to your brother who has a speck in his eye, um, that you must take the log out of your eye. Now, Jesus is not trying to discourage the church from confronting people who have a speck in their eye, but rather he's saying before you go and talk to little Nuke Nuke, about uh, 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 shacking up with somebody, um, you need to make sure that, that your, your house is in order. Uh, uh, you, you need to make sure that you're not on the internet uh, indulging in pornography. Uh, uh, you need to make sure that you're not sneaking and creaking and, and, and peeping and stuff like that. Um, you, you've got to make sure that, you, that you're spiritually not being hypocritical and doing that. Now, we all have sin. Um, we all fall short. Uh, none of us, at, at any given time, all of us have areas of in our lives that, that needs improvement. So he's not discouraging us from going, but he's saying, if you are walking in the Spirit and you see your brother caught, you go to your brother and you, you restore him. That word restore, that word restore was a word that was often used to speak of uh, in, in medical terms. It was a word that was used to, 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 to speak of resetting a bone. Resetting a bone. He's saying if your brother and sister in Christ has a bone, a dislocated bone, a spiritual bone, you need to go to them and you need to try to restore, uh, relocate that bone for them. Um, that's exactly what happened with the University of Louisville, right? See, Kevin Ware, and when he went down, uh, his tibia, it just came out, that bone was just sticking out. And you remember in the game, everybody's like, oh! All the players was just falling out on the floor. And I didn't see what happened. I'm like, okay, guys, this is, this is over-exaggeration. The next day I saw a picture of it. I'm like, yo, that's messed up. So we as the body of Christ, when we see our brother or sister down, when we see them entangled in sin, those of us who are living by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit, our job isn't just to sit back and be like, dang, that's messed up. But our job is to be like that trainer on the bench 
who came alongside him. Our job is to cover them with that towel and, and then take them, either we help them ourselves by resetting the bone or take them to someone in the body who can reset that bone. Our job is not Remember humility, because a lot of times what we do, what church folk do, and I, I actually don't think it's as bad as we make it seem. Uh, we got novels and books that make church folk seem like they're the most devilish and demon-possessed people ever, right? But, but Christians, uh, uh, true Christians aren't like that, amen. We may slip into that for a second, but we, we, we'll be back, amen, <laughs> quickly, 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 especially if we got the right people around us bringing us back in place, right? But, but, but what we see is uh, sometimes Christians, we see people entangled in sin, and rather than running to their rescue, we look down upon them. But remember, being led by the Spirit means being humble. It means being humble, and it also means being bold. You say, well, I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. How can I help restore them? I'm not this. I'm not that. You are a child of God. You have been called and commissioned by the God of, of Most High. You are accepted by Jesus and free from your past sins. You can go up to that sister or that brother, and you can help restore them. And how do we restore them? He says, with the spirit of gentleness. With the spirit of gentleness, that's humility. When someone's caught in sin, we, we can't badger them and beat them up. Shouldn't be gossiping about them laughing at them. When someone is caught in sin, we need to come up alongside them and say, yo, I, I see this in your life. I see that you are constantly kind of working in pride. I feel like every time I'm, I'm with you, you're just boasting about all the things that you have. And you have a tendency to gossip about people and look down upon people. I just want to encourage you by, by looking at a scripture with you that calls us not to do that. I know sometimes I do it too, but I see that this is kind of habitual and regular in your life. I see that you're in a relationship with a non-believer, and you know the Bible tells us not to date non-believers. And I just want to sit down and talk to you about that to see what's going on in your heart, on in your heart that will make you yoke with someone who doesn't love Jesus. I see that the Bible tells you us to, to, to encourage each other and to, to, to not forsake the fellowship of believers. I see that you have a real hard time with coming to church and, and, and you talk about Christians in church as if it's them and not you. I just want to talk to you about what it means to be a Christian and why the local church is so important. That's the body's job. You who are spiritual are not just the pastors. You who are spiritual represent people who have been called children of God. We all need that. Hebrews chapter 3, a, a text that I've been to uh, before, and uh, we've looked at quite a bit, looked at it this past week in VBS with the group. Hebrews chapter 3. Hayden Siva said that Kevin Ware was the most famous person he knew <laughs> uh, after he was injured because of all the, of the love and care that he got, not just from the University of Louisville, but you had Oprah and President Obama calling him. I bet I, that was the best injury anyone has ever had. Because <laughs> he was just so cared for and loved on by people. And as a church, we want to be a church that that gives grace to people, that goes to people with a heart of grace, but also that gives truth to people. John chapter 1 says that Jesus was full of both grace and truth. And what tempts our hearts from confronting people in sin is, is fear. But remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. He said, am I trying to please man or God? If I'm trying to please man, then I'm not. I'm not a servant of Christ. That's God's word. I didn't make that up. Let's see why we need the body and why we need to care for each other like this. Look at, look at your Bibles and look at the screen. Verse 12. This is unbelievable. I like everything is unbelievable with you. Well, God's word is unbelievable. How about that? 
Even Leviticus 9. <laughs> Even Leviticus. Like Leviticus too, amen, it is. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving, uh, evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in rebellion. So look at what he says, verse 12. Take care who? Brothers. That's Christians. He's talking to Christians. Least there be in any of you and now look at what he talks about, how he talks about sin. He's talking about sin. He's talking about that, that person who is caught up in their sin. Least there be in any of you an evil. Sin is evil. One sin is evil. One sin makes us enemies of God. We are born evil. We are born sinners. Sin is cosmic treason. It is equivalent to us giving the middle finger to God. Because God is so holy. It's worse than us giving the middle finger to God. Isaiah says that our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. If our righteousness is as a filthy rag, what is our sin? So sin is evil. Sin comes from an unbelieving heart, a heart that does not look to Jesus in faith. Whenever we sin, we are not looking to Jesus in faith. It leads us to fall away from the living God. So even as Christians, we, we can sin, we can be, we can be evil, we can, be, we can drift away from the living God. And then look at verse 13, the end of it. He says that sin is deceitful. So we can get caught up in sin and not even know it. Our heart has a way of lying to us to where we know we're in sin, but we find ways around that sin. Well, yeah, I love Jesus, but I'm a man. I got all this testosterone. Shoot. It's just the one area, you know what I'm saying? Every now and then, you know, I got I to gotta scratch that itch. And when God sends me a wife, I won't have to scratch that itch. So until then, deceitful, lying to ourselves. Our hearts are so prone to wonder. The Bible says that we need someone speaking into our hearts and encouraging us about Jesus every day. But encourage one another every day. Do you have someone speaking into your heart daily? Or is Sunday morning when you hear God's word, the only time that you're confronted with God's word by a person. See, Paul in Galatians chapter 6 says that biblical care restores. Biblical care steps into one another, each other's life, and it cares about each other. And it doesn't want to see the other person go the way of death. It doesn't want to see the other person's heart becomes hard. So we go as a church, Forest Baptist Church, there are people who are members of this church who come once every two months. It is our job, those who are spiritual, to go and to love on them, confront them with the spirit of gentleness, speak the truth into their lives. There are people that you know who are living and entangled in sin. The Bible says it's not the pastor's job to play sin police. It's not the pastor's job to know what's going on in everybody's life. The pastor's job is to know what's going on in his leader's life. It is the body's job to care for each other. And we care for each other as sinners saved by grace. That's what he says in the next stanza. Look, at his, look what he says. Least you too be tempted. So when you go and restore somebody, you don't restore somebody as one who has it all together. You restore somebody as one who knows that your heart can drift too. That this week is them, next week it could be you. Second way that we care for each other. In fact, let me, let me take us through some, some verses real quick. This is what the Bible says about us being in each other's life. Psalm 141, verse 5. 
So this isn't just some, some random two places. All throughout the Bible, it calls us to do this. Psalm 141, verse 5 says, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is all for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. So the psalmist in Psalm 145 says that it is kind for someone to point out my blind spots, my area of weakness. He's saying if, you, if, a, if a righteous person sees that I'm going astray, it is kind for them to rebuke me. If, if you've got a booger in your nose and it's just hanging there and you're in front of somebody and your boo, your wife, your friend know that it's just dangling and then you go to the bathroom, you'd be like, yo, why you didn't tell me I had a booger in my nose? You feel betrayed. And the whole time it's just dangling. And everybody's hoping that you don't breathe over their food. And all it took was for somebody to do. You, right? You're embarrassed for a second like, dang, I had a booger in my nose. But you appreciate it. Proverbs 27, 5 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better somebody who will rebuke you openly to keep you from looking like a fool than someone who, who, who hides them, their love for you or, or who doesn't do that. James 5, 19. Listen to this. This is amazing. Again, <laughs> my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, again, Christians wander from the truth. If any of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whatever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Wow, brothers, if anyone is wandering from the truth, if anyone is caught up in sin, he says, you go and get him. And what do you do? In doing so, you save his soul from death. The wages of sin is death. Even if we're saved and we're Christians, it still is going to end up bad for us. What a privilege to be a child of God. The gospel levels us. It humbles us. What a privilege it is to be able to step in our brother's and sister's life and have people step into our life to care enough about us to say, yo, you got a sin booger in your nose. But the church does not shine like a light often because we don't do that. Because we're afraid. Because we care too much about our self-image. And at the end of the day, that is us not being who God called us to be. That takes away the depth of our care. That takes away from the uniqueness of our care. The world sees the world and doesn't confront each other. They talk about each other. They allow, they compete with one another. They, they, they try to pull each other down. They laugh. They laugh at each other when one fails. Not the church. We step into that world caring for that brother or sister. Because we have been loved by the God of this universe who cared enough for us to come and to take our sin upon himself and give us grace. And that's love. The Bible says you will know them by the love that they have for one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy and boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable and resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. We see a Christian fall on the news or whatever. I told you that, that pastor wasn't nothing. Pastors ain't nothing. But it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. The last point, biblical care bears one another's burdens. Biblical care consists of bearing one another's burdens. We're going to fly, fly through this one. 
bearing one another burdens. So I believe that the author is talking specifically about sin in verse 1. And then he, he broadens it by just talking about cares in general, bit, uh, burdens in general. Sin is a burden, but we also as Christians, we have other burdens. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, the author says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before. So it calls us to, to lay aside sin, but it also calls us to lay aside weights. Weights are things that are not necessarily sins, but they are things that are just weighing on our hearts, and we all have them. Everybody has them. Everybody in this room has a weight. Maybe the weight is that you're persecuted by your family because you believe in Jesus. Or you're persecuted on your job because they know that you're a Christian. Maybe the weight is that you're in financial debt and that your financial situation is, is miserable. Maybe the weight is that you have a child that has a disease or a sickness and you're suffering in that way. Maybe, maybe your weight is, is, your, is your children. You, you haven't really learned how to discipline your children. Your children are wild. And it just weighs on you when you come to church. You're just nervous about your kids and how they're going to act or how they're going to behave. Or maybe you have disciplined them and they're still wild. And you're like, this child was born this way, I promise. You're like, yes, the Bible says they were. (laughs) Maybe your weight is depression. Maybe your weight is that you don't, Your spouse doesn't know Jesus. Maybe your weight is that you don't have a spouse yet. Maybe your your weight is that you're suffering from an illness. But the Bible says that because you're a Christian and because you're part of the body of Christ, that you don't have to bear that weight alone. The Bible teaches us that that's what the body of Christ is for. The body of Christ is, we come alongside each other and we bear that weight. We bear one another's burdens. Now that doesn't mean that we come alongside people who are suffering and we fix their problems. No, that means that we come alongside people who are suffering and we're, we're present. And when the appropriate time comes, we speak the truth in love. I once heard a pastor say that he went to visit someone in the hospital. And right before he had went to visit, another pastor was there. And the guy said that the whole time all the pastor was doing was just talking, the previous pastor. And then this pastor came. He was an older, more mature pastor. He said he just sat there, asked questions, and listened. Didn't say much. And the guy reached out right before he left, and he says, I feel so cared for by you because you didn't come trying to fix anything. You just came to be present. Bearing one another's burden sometimes just means being present. It means just asking, how are you doing? How can I help? It means just showing up sometimes with no agenda, no Bible verses to throw at people, and just say, I am here. And when the appropriate time comes, you speak the truth in love. It's a picture of a woman who's in labor, who has a husband by her side. We may not be able to suffer and to take that pain on ourselves, but we can sit there through the... And a husband's presence for that wife is soothing. It can be soothing. It should be soothing. For my wife, I think it was soothing. That's what we do. That's what we do. We come alongside and we bear each other's burdens. Last week, a friend of mine's name, Prasad, he, he's from India. He can't work. He's here on a student visa. His car went down about a month and a half ago. And last week, he gave me a, we, we've just been praying that the Lord would give him a, a vehicle. Last week, he gave me a call and said, brother, uh, you know, c- come talk to me. I went and talked to him, was with the family, and he showed me a new vehicle, a new van that a, a church member, the two, I believe it was two church families, came together and bought his family. They just came together, bought his family. They didn't want to be recognized. I don't even know if he knows who it was. He said the dealership just called him and said, go pick up. You've got a used vehicle waiting on you. Some of your church members came in and purchased that vehicle. That's what the church does, Acts chapter 2. We're not self-absorbed. We're not competing. We're not trying to get three or four vehicles. When we see a family who doesn't have one, who, who has a vehicle down, we say, hey, we'll, bar- we'll let you use one of our vehicles because we have three. Or we'll pick up your kids. 
We bear each other's burdens. And that's what's unique about the body of Christ. The world isn't doing this. And if they are, it's because they want something in return or they want a pat in the back. We can do it because we stand in our gospel identity that says, I am a child of God. I don't have to do something to be accepted by you, but I'm also a sinner saved by grace. When I help you, I can help you from a heart of humility because I know that I wouldn't be where I am without God. So how does this come home with you? Biblical care starts with those who are closest to you. Biblical care starts with your your spouse. Are you speaking the truth to your spouse? Are you confronting your spouse on their sin when they are habitually sinning, or do you just nag them and make fun of them? It's with your children as well. Are you bearing the burdens of those who are closest to you in your home? your family members, with your church members? Do you come on Sunday and, in order to talk and to listen and, and to learn about people so that you can see how the Lord might be leading you by the Spirit to be a help? High schoolers, my, 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 young, my youngins, <laughs> when you're at school and you see another Christian being teased because of their faith, do you try to separate yourself from them and hide or make fun of them on, on a sneak, on a low? Or do you come and bear that burden and say, yo, I believe exactly what he believes. I believe exactly what she believes. And that's okay. Rick Pitino themed the season around humility. And I believe that his team was able to care for each other with humility Because as the article said, he did everything he could himself to model that humility throughout the season. For example, when Kevin Ware went down, I believe it was a day after he met Ware in Atlanta. And for the whole day, he cleared his schedule. Could have been talking to the press about the game. (laughs) He could have been doing interviews. For the whole day, he sat in the hospital with Kevin Ware, a player that averaged four points during a regular season. And the article said that he asked where, he said, what's your favorite food? And where told him, this is what I like to eat. And he went to that restaurant before they opened, stood there until they opened, ordered his food and brought it back to him. This is the coach. He could have sent an assistant. He could have sent the player. He did it himself. We as Christians, we can care for each other deeply and uniquely, because our leader cared for us deeply and uniquely. The Bible says that Jesus left his throne in heaven. The God of this universe came down on earth to care for us. He waited in line for 33 years. He committed no sin in order that he would be crucified on a cross, in order that his death would be substituted for you so that God's wrath would not be pouring out on you. Jesus is our example of humility. And he was completely secure because he knew that his father was well pleased with him. Romans 15, 1 and 3 says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. We have an obligation to care for each other because Christ did not please himself, but he cared for us. He took our reproaches. He took our sins to the cross. And that's why we love Jesus. That's why we're crazy about Jesus. That's why we're crazy about the church. We are the church. Let's take a humble pride in that. We're unique. We're different. Our relationships are to be deep. We don't have to suffer alone. And you may be here today, and you may not have a relationship with Jesus. That means that you don't have a new heart. Your heart isn't, your affections isn't set on Jesus. You may have been baptized. You may be a part of the church. You may know religion. But is your heart set on Jesus? Are your affections set on him and his word? Today, I want to offer salvation to you. God, Jesus can give you a new heart. You can't care this way without a new heart. You can't care this way without a new set of affections. 
You can't restore the sinner. You can't bear someone's burdens in a way that points to Jesus if you have not fallen in love with this Jesus who did that for you. He didn't just restore you from your sin. He bore your sin. I want to invite you to know Jesus, this unique Lord. And I want you to, to invite you to know and be in relationship with his people. You may be here today, and maybe you're crushed under a burden. Today, you just kind of hopped in here. If you could have, you would have just crawled in here. You're like that woman who had an issue of blood who just needed to touch the hem of, of Jesus' garment. Maybe that's you today, and you've been holding it in and not sharing it. This is a place where you can break down. This is a place where you can fall apart without being judged and scrutinized. And those who, who do judge you and scrutinize is because they, they, they don't understand. Today, I want to invite you to be prayed for. Come down. We've got some leaders and some deacons who want to pray for you. If you're not a part of a church, a group of people who can hold you accountable, uh, today we want to invite you to join this church, an imperfect church that loves a perfect Savior.